This episode of Beyond the Bottom Line is brought to you by the Program on Entrepreneurship at the Yale School of Management, where we're educating students for business and society. Welcome to this edition of Beyond the Bottom Line. Today, we are super excited to have in the studio with us Claudia Reuter. Claudia is Managing Director of the Stanley Techstars Additive Manufacturing Accelerator up in Hartford and a general manager of Techstars East, which is a new role. Uh, She has been recognized by the Boston Business Journal as a 216 woman to watch in science and technology and as a change maker in Hub Week. She is an experienced entrepreneur, has been on both sides of the table, and prior to joining Techstars, she served as SVP of Digital Services and Labs for Hofton Mifflin Harcourt, and was the co-founder and CEO of School Chapters. Uh, Welcome, Claudia. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do at Techstars that you've been doing for the past couple of years and that shift to your new role. Sure, yeah. I feel really fortunate to be a part of Techstars. Um, Techstars is uh, the worldwide network designed to help entrepreneurs succeed. And we do that by investing in companies that are, you know, we're stage agnostic. Uh, We have... Uh, accelerators around the world. And um, for the last two years, I've had an opportunity to be working um, up here in Hartford as the managing director for the Stanley Techstars Accelerator. Um, Of our accelerators, about half are run in cities and are subject matter agnostic. The other half are run with corporations and those tend to have a vertical focus. So I've had a a really great opportunity to work with um, as part of Techstars, but in partnership with Stanley Black & Decker, looking to make investments um, 10 a year in companies focused on making advances in manufacturing, and in particular, additive manufacturing or 3D printing and sustainable tech. So it's been an exciting ride. Um, And I just recently took on an expanded role as general manager for Techstars on America's East. So now I get to work more closely with accelerators up and down the coast from Montreal to Alabama. So super exciting. Very exciting. Um, They're lucky to have you covering the East Coast. So after spending some time uh, to raise your children at home, you launched school chapters and worked as CEO of the venture for about eight years. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how that helps inform some of the work that you're doing at Techstars now? I have a liberal arts background, and then I uh, entered the world of tech in my 20s, so doing everything from, you know, Front end, some front end web development work to back end systems work. And then I actually stepped away from the workforce when I had my first child, and who is now 16. And um, quickly realized that, you know, that was the right decision for me and for my family at that point um, for a number of reasons. Um, and also that I, want, I wanted to be with my child at that point. Um, have a second son who I also enjoyed spending some time with in the beginning um, as a full-time stay-at-home mom. And then um, really started to look at different ways. I knew I was going to have to contribute more financially to my family at some point um, and started to look at different options and ways back in, so to speak. I was volunteering as a board member at a public library in the town we lived in at the time. And doing a number of different activities um, to try to keep my skill set up, um, but didn't actually see a ton of simple ways back in and certainly ones that want to address some of the logistical issues that go along with trying to be an engaged parent and trying to build a career and ended up um, with the support of my partner and husband 
building a company. And so I uh, built a software company uh, focused on helping others track development and milestones, um, found an opportunity in the education space and um, really, you know, worked to deliver solutions that could add value there. And um, went through the the messiness and excitement of trying to build a business. And then we were ultimately acquired in 2014 and uh, by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And that's where I worked to lead um, like an innovation, internal innovation team, a digital services team for a few years there before joining Techstars. So how do you think that gives you, I would say, empathy, deep empathy maybe, um, for the founders who are part of the Techstars Accelerator? Oh, hu- huge empathy um, for, for founders. You know, Starting a company is one of the most exciting things you can do. It's also, I think, one of the lonelier things that you can do. Um, And there really is this balance of trying to maintain a vision of where you're going, keeping your team engaged, um, managing the operational side of the business, and and putting up this front to the world that everything's amazing all the time. And so it, it can be a lonely endeavor. And so when I learned about the opportunity to join Techstars, I, I really did jump on it because I, I thought it was a really great opportunity to to give back and to try to be who I wish I had had access to when I was a little bit younger and and didn't you know there's a lot of things I know now that I didn't know then so in addition to the work that you do at TechStars and the fact that you're raising a family you've somehow found the time to write a new book titled Yes You Can Do This How Women Start Up Scale Up and Build the Life That They Want a Manifesto and How to Guide. Uh, why were you motivated to write this book? Yeah, so I um, I actually really like writing. You know, I in one of the things I'm always I'm a lifelong learner, and one of the things that I like to do is explore new activities. And even when I was working at my company, I was taking some courses at Trinity at night on rhetoric and writing. Like I just actually like writing. Um, but I really felt I and I continue to feel a binary discussion happening and. In several years ago, Sheryl Sandberg wrote a book called Lean In, which basically is a manifesto encouraging women to double down on their careers, and that by doing this, we'll by default start to have more women in leadership positions. Um, her book actually came out after I decided to start a company, and it really did actually inspire me to keep going and doubling down as I was trying to stay with, engaged with my kids and get my business off the ground. And I was even put up on her website as an example of like taking risks. Um, but what's happened is there's been a backlash in the last few years where there's been another group of conversations starting on, you know, leaning out, which I also understand. And the idea is that, you know, it's it doesn't necessarily work just doubling down, doubling down, doubling down when you're trying to actually build your family at the same time. And so, you know, just to, I think it was last year, Michelle Obama made a passing comment um, about how lean-in doesn't always work. And it just there was like this firestorm of attention in the media, basically driving the discussion towards, see, you you can't have it all. See, you can't, you know, and it wasn't Michelle Obama saying that. It was the media taking a hold of a comment she had made to say, this is the conversation, lean in or lean out. And I really started thinking about the idea that like, well, why why is this all so hard? It's so hard because all the corporate structures that are here today are exist with the idea of a single earner, male, homogenous workforce with, you know, someone at home behind the scenes making sure things work okay. And as women, I feel like, or at least I felt like uh, 
that there was a need to compartmentalize that, you know, if, when you do go back into the workforce or if you're working and you just stay in the workforce, that you don't really talk about the fact that you've got family activities or that you have things going on because you want to appear to be present in that job. And um, I felt like we have an opportunity to, to change a lot of this. And I started thinking about the idea of, well, what if you leaned in by starting up? and started your own company. And I was originally going to call the, the book, You Can Change the Rules. Um, but after discussions with the publisher, we, we went with the new title, which I also was, I, I'm good with at this point. But um, yeah, the idea being that uh, if you start your own company, you're automatically in a leadership position and um, you also have an opportunity to change the playing field for other people. Yeah. I, I like to think, because I've read the book now, that you wrote the book that I wanted to write but was too lazy to do so. So I'm very glad that you spent the time to do it and happy to support you to get the word out about it because I think it's a great book. Um, so I do want to read some of the stats from the book. Um, and these are just in general about women in the workplace. So more than 70% of high school valedictorians are females and more than 50% of college graduates are women. Yet only 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs are while women in the United States are starting businesses at higher rates than ever of all venture capital, um, which is one form of financing, obviously, by firms to small early stage emerging companies with high growth potential, in 2019, only 2.2% went to women. This is a percentage that point, um, this is up a percentage point from 10 years ago, but still represents just an incredibly small piece of the total venture pie that's out there. Only 17% of corporate board seats are held by women. Women are 21% more likely to be considered top performers in corporations, but those under the age of 40 are less likely to receive a promotion than men. I'm going to keep going just for a little bit more impact. 43% of women continue to leave the workforce when they have children, and 85% of women actually become mothers. Um, and only 17% of companies offer paid maternity leave, which is just an abysmal terrible statistic. So there's a lot of academic research out there that really details the difference between male and female founders and some of the outcomes because of those differences. In your experience and through the research that you did for this book, why do you think women make great founders? You know, entrepreneurs are everywhere, and I think men and women are equally capable of starting amazing companies. Well, there's a, kind of two different ways to look at it. I think with some of the stats you can see, you can see it's so much harder for women to actually get ahead right now from a funding perspective that kind of by default, we're actually seeing, you know, some really the people, the women who do make it are just incredibly exceptional, right? Because they had to get through all these hurdles, you know, in my program this year, we had some really amazing founders like the founders of Oco and Womp and Tritative and Accelerate 3D. Um, but, you know, I think that um, there are some, one of the things I, I was researching is the idea that we do, we are dealing with things that we're conditioned with when we're actually much younger that come into play in the workforce and in career development later. Um, we are, you know, we tend to condition women and girls for compliant behavior. And compliant behavior actually doesn't help you do things like start a company. Um, so that's one of the things I'm trying to help people see as they're working through things that um, sometimes some of the behaviors that we exhibit that normally would would have been rewarded at younger ages um, don't necessarily serve us as we're rising through the ranks, so to speak. But I think some of the other reasons, um, you know, you see that the stats that you pointed out are what they are, is if you look at the timing of it, 
you know, the average time frame for when people are kind of up for that next big jump in their career is right around the same time that you have kids. And then right around the time that you're, um, you know, maybe you're at a later stage in your career and you're thinking about board seats. That's also where elder care sometimes comes in. So, you know, it's like women are, women are jumping off in the caregiver on, on both sides of the, the family tree, so to speak. So there's different, different challenges along the way. So then when you're kind of looking at, say, that set of characteristics, the stereotypes, et cetera, though, there are certain characteristics that many women have that do make them much more successful entrepreneurs. So can you talk about what you think some of those are or maybe talk about how you think women can position themselves when they're entering into or trying to start something? So some of the things that we tend to view or or categorize as a weakness actually can be a strength. Um, and I try to I've tried to weave that into the book, and I also try to talk to founders about that um, as they're coming through program or wherever they are on their journey. Um, for example, sometimes when we think about, oh, well, women tend to be more empathetic. Now, I don't, I don't, I think the stats actually show that people across the population are generally equally empathetic, but women who end up in leadership roles tend to be more empathetic than men. But if you think of empathy as a skill set that is really actually important for founders, um, not just because you're able to empathize with your teams and understand where what's happening with your group, you're actually really able to empathize with customers. And in the age of digital delivery and, um, you know, trying to figure out uh, how your dif- your offering is going to be differentiated in a, in a world with infinite impossibilities, being able to empathize with your customer is something that I think we should really look at as a really strong strength in leaders. You know, there's also a tendency to label more likely. And so I should say, like, these are stereotypes, right? There's a stereotype out there that maybe women tend to be more of a perfectionist. And perfectionism is actually not a strength, right? If you're delaying finishing something because you want it to be perfect. But if you can take that that um, that attribute, if you possess it, and convert it into something that allows you to actually demonstrate how detail-oriented you are, you can flip it on its head. So one of the examples I, I've given is you know, as you're thinking about your financial model, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the perfect state of how big it can look, and that's important. But you also have an opportunity to play out in real time all the mistakes you could make and show someone that you've thought that through. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to kind of re- rethink things, I think. So I just want to read another quote from the book because I think this is the piece, particularly for me, that I've been talking about a lot on campus and with friends and in other places about the importance of women starting companies so that they are in leadership roles in organizations, particularly high-tech, high-growth mm-hmm. organizations that allow them to gain economic power but also control over the culture. So the beauty of a startup is that you create value in the economy and you also control your day. When you start a business, you are automatically in a leadership position. You don't need to wait in line and you get to make the dis- make the decisions that are best uh, for the company, including structures such as office hours, location, and other policies. You have the freedom to create the business you want and to build a life you want at the same time. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that one of the things, and um, I don't pretend to say that I had this all figured out from day one. This is something that I've realized now as I'm further along in my career and and, um, had more experiences. But 
you know, we we talk about starting companies because there's a big opportunity out there and you can go build something and you can deliver this amazing new solution. But you also have this really unique opportunity to really rethink not just what your culture looks like, but what the day looks like for everyone. And for women or caregivers in particular, this is incredibly meaningful because some the very things that prevent a lot of caregivers from getting back into the workforce are logistics and the fact that the school day doesn't match the work day and that pickup is at three, but meetings might be at four. And just so many of these things that are logistic items. Um, startups are really where people started thinking about casual dress. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Friday was like, you get to wear jeans on Friday. It's such a big deal. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, and, you know, now, you know, startups have really led the way on things like, you know, unlimited vacation, working remotely. Um, you know, tech obviously allows us to do that. You know, bringing dogs to work, having food options. And I think childcare is one one of the pieces that hasn't been talked about enough. And I think we have a real opportunity to think more about um, and, and what that could look like in the course of a workday or for a company. But, but more generally, whether you have kids or not, it's starting a company is about, cre- you know, all a company is is a collection of people working on a shared goal. And when you're, when you're building your own business, you really... Like, I, I hope that people really realize how much they really can impact what their life looks like and what that company looks like. It's it's not just build a company that looks like the old company that's been there for 10 years. You really can do something that none of us have ever seen before. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things is when you're thinking about going out and launching a venture, whether you're a male or a female, you know, this idea that you are creating this culture, you have the ability to make those decisions, and it doesn't have to be done in exactly the same way that it's been done for the past four years. You have examples of successful companies like Patagonia, for instance, that have had these very clear childcare um, elements integrated into their core strategy from not necessarily from the beginning, but for a very long time and are still running sustainable, profitable growing businesses. So one of my favorite entrepreneurs is Sarah Holbeck, who runs Luminary Labs. And she talks a lot about this in work that she did with her company and a couple of other startups um, called the Human Company Playbook. So it's this idea of really making the new corporate environment work for everybody, everybody, not just women, but men as well, um, so that we can all actually have some balance because it is achievable. She leaves the office at six o'clock yeah. and she runs a very successful company. So yeah, and that and that's that that's the the idea too is that right now we have access to we I mean literally we could be working all the time, right? Like it's never like we could we could if we wanted to, we could never shut down. And I certainly sometimes struggle with that myself. But like um because of our access to the internet and technology, but that also sets up a new stage to really empower everyone to think about, well, what does it look like? Why are we all working with a nine to five mindset when we're trying to run a global operation or trying to sell, you know, if you're trying to sell to customers in another country or to, you know, who knows, right? If you're thinking big about what you're delivering, take a minute to think big about how you're setting up your office and what your life looks like. So one of the things that you do or the tools that you use in the book is you kind of integrate 
fictional narratives into the intro of each chapter, and I found that to be so incredibly relatable. And just the style in general is very relatable. I think unlike existing narratives that you see out in the press about founders who go out and raise tens of millions of dollars and work 20-hour days to get their ventures off the ground, you're telling a very different story that is both messy but at the same time very real. Can you talk about the early days of your venture when you were balancing your life as a mother and a parent and a spouse and all these others with your life as a founder? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, my kids are now teenagers and I still feel like it's messy and I'm, you know, pulling it all in. And they're sometimes, you know, I'm, we're all in the living room together and I'm like, hey, I'm working on this thing. What do you think? And they're, you know, sharing what they're working on. So I have a very integrated home work uh, life. But when they were really little and, you know, not able to talk to me the way they talk to me now, but I was, you know, with them all the time. I mean, I was bringing them with me. So like if when I opened up my first business account, my kids were in tow with me and, you know, it was actually here in New Haven. So then I would, you know, talk to them. I'd be like, okay, I have to go do this business thing. You guys are going to have to like be chill. Here's a lollipop (laughs) at the bank, you know, whatever we're trying to do. And then we're going to go to Ikea afterwards and there's like ice cream cones there. Negotiation skills. You wonder where women get it from or parents. You know, so like they were always in there or like when I, and I also compartmentalized in some different ways, you know, like I I think I shared in the book and I've shared on my podcast, like one of the first times I was negotiating a term sheet, I was doing it from my son's closet and just to have a moment where it was quiet and and just the contrast of the situation I was in and then imagining where they were. um, I was trying not to psych myself out of my own negotiation, (laughs) realizing that. But yeah, I, I really do think that there's an I think there's also an opportunity. I really worked to integrate my family into what I was doing. And even to this day, like we, they're part of the conversation. Um, and I hope that it turns, you know, that it ultimately it's been a positive experience for them. Um, but uh, I think that in the normal working world, obviously I could never have done that, right? Like I could never have brought them anywhere or, you know, had any of the experiences I had with them. And you know, starting my own company, especially in the early days, they were just part of it with me. You know, they were, you know, I was, you know, if they were in nap time, that's when I was dealing with like a customer call and, you know, we'd all then go to the playground and maybe I'd take a phone call. You know, it was a ridiculous amount of multitasking in hindsight, but I, you know, it, it worked. <laughs> I have brought my older daughter, who's now a freshman in college, to several pitch competitions, and she's now working for the newspaper and just covered a bunch of hackathons. See? That's great. But she's the most judgmental person now because (laughs) of it. So it's very funny. If you you want to do a pitch practice, do it in front of Grace. I bet, because she's probably seen it all, right? (laughs) She knows what questions to ask. So you talk in the book about building for scale. How should entrepreneurs think about this? I know this is something that's a big topic of conversation for you at Techstars as well. So Yeah, I mean, I think one of, if I've ever seen like a, a thematic conversation that's come up with founders at different points, I think sometimes where people get stuck is when they get focused on what they have today and how they can move ahead with what they have today. And, you know, hey, if I just get a little more money, I'll be able to do more. And so really helping people think through at scale, what what do you really, not only what, what you know, how many more salespeople do you need or how many marketing people do you need, but if you're, if, how many new products are you going to launch a year? And then what is, what's behind that? How many support people are there? How many, you know, and just helping people really think through the 
it's not just a matter of saying, I, I just need a little more capital to get my business off the ground. It's really, I need to think about what I, and I, you know, I try to always bring it back with folks to let's, let's go back to the basics of where are you trying to go? And then we'll fill in all the lines on how you get there. And there's a million different ways to get there. But when we think about scale, it's, it's organizational scale, it's scale needed to, you know, sell at scale. It's just, um, it's, it's really thinking through moving beyond what is today and what could you do with the limited resources you have today, but what, what, what could you do with a much bigger, um, opportunity in front of you. Was that all included in your binder? <laughs> I don't really even remember what was in that at that point, this point, but the fact that I made one is, um, yeah, I wish I could find it. Yeah. <laughs> so for context, when, when Claudia first started her company, she had a binder that she put together with probably a pretty standard. It was actually really nice looking, but I had no idea what I was doing, right? And I remember thinking, I'll just yeah, someone will be impressed by this. Look how organized I am, and nobody wants that. <laughs> nobody wants. I do like in the book, though, that you include, because I, I think this is something that I encourage the entrepreneurs that I work with here to do, that you do talk about anchoring some of these strategic decisions to an actual spreadsheet, which is not going to be a perfect spreadsheet, but at least helps you think through and tie what is that revenue potential based upon the inputs that you have, whether they're cost of goods, whether they're human yeah. beings, et cetera. And like, what does that time frame look like? What does your sales cycle look like? How many salespeople do you need to have? And mapping that out. So I, I love that you included that in the book. Yeah, and I, I included it too because I've, I sometimes, I've especially with women, I've encountered folks who worry so much about getting it exactly perfect. Like somehow when someone someone's like trying to put a number in a sheet, they're very worried like, oh, it has to be exactly right. And and this is across Techstars. We try to work with founders on how do you think about this as a model, not as a final state. And the idea being you have multiple assumptions, multiple inputs, and any of them could change, and therefore your outcome is going to change. And one of the examples I've tried to give to folks is, you know, think about it like you're planning a trip. There might be a detour, there might be construction, there might need, eventually you'll still get there. It might take you longer. It might, you know, it you might break down and decide you don't want to get there anymore, whatever. Any number of things will happen, but try to put together an initial list of assumptions. Like, I'm going to take this road, I'm going to go X number of miles an hour, and I'll probably get there. And it signals to potential investors that you actually know some of the unknowns, or at least have a sense that the unknowns are out there and you've thought a little bit about them. Yeah, and that you've, um, and that you're thinking it through, that you're, you know, just, it doesn't have to be, we don't assume it's right, just that you've thought it through. What is the one piece of advice that you give to all Techstars founders? Um, well, I try to, try to, you know, it's a little different for everyone, but one of the things I've really been trying to talk to folks a little bit more recently about is besides the basic stuff, like making sure you have a goal that you're working towards and you know your vision and, and where you're headed, that this isn't all of you, that this is a project, this is a business that you're working on. Um, and it is really important and the stakes are really high and all of these things, but don't lose yourself in it. That at the end of the day, you are still you, uh, whether this company becomes the next big thing or disappears. Um, and so I try, I try to remind people that this is this is something they're working on, even though it feels so personal sometimes and it feels so high stakes and it's so visible. So there's just so much, much to starting a company, but trying to remind people that this isn't this isn't you. This is just one thing you're working on. Other favorite resources that you have that you typically share with people, whether it's, I know we talked about a little bit in class, Brad Feld's book on venture deals, 
other things that you kind of give out as key resources along the way? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Techstars is just this never-ending supply of amazing resources for founders, and certainly the books that we have that that people have written, like Bradfeld has venture deals. There's a new book out, a new version of Do More Faster, which um, you know is another Techstars imprint, and then a latest book in the series, Sell More Faster, which is from um, another managing director, Amos, and that's um, that's focused on the sales process and development. So obviously, there's some really great Techstars staples. We also Techstars also has a toolkit for founders to help you know through video instruction on a whole bunch of different topics that are standard. Um, and I also really encourage people, you know, beyond obviously all the tactical items of how to build your business, how to do all these things, also staying, staying, keeping your creative side going. I actually try to remind people, you know, if you're like focused on your health, make sure you keep doing that, like keep going, you know, if you're focused on the arts, like keep going to museums, like don't let this become your singular focus because you'll actually be more innovative if you expose yourself to other things. So last question that we always ask is what is one book that you have given out this year as a gift or you intend to give in the upcoming holiday season? Um, one that it's been, that uh, I gave recently to someone um because it just sort of stuck out to me in the last year is um, a book by David Baum. It's an older book called On Dialogue. Uh, and it, I guess he was a, a physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project and you know got into cell deconstruction, all this very interesting stuff. But ultimately, later in his career, got into uh, human connection and interaction and basically wrote a book talking about the differences between um, discussion and communication. And really predicted uh, the the where we are in the world right now with um, the internet promoting discourse and, you know, people doubling down on their side versus actually coming together and communicating. So it was a book I handed out this year and hope hopefully uh, people will think about to commune a bit more on things. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Claudia, thank you again for joining us today and for spending time with students. And we look forward to reading the book when it comes out when? It's coming. It's on pre-order now on Amazon, but it'll be out in bookshelves in February 2020. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. 